Welcome to Fringe Element here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. Mine's Aaron Dugan. You can follow me on Twitter at the Aaron Dugan or Instagram Aaron underscore Dugan. It feels kind of like one of those it's it just means more type of episodes. You know, like last week, lots of power rankings, depth charts, where teams could actually finish in the standings, offseason rumors and stuff like that. Great episode, by the way. Thanks to Michael Bratton and Stephen Lassie for hanging out with us. So go check out the the early, 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 never too early power rankings episode. But we got like coaches stealing other coaches from teams. We got recruiting drama with the Florida Gators that is amongst the dumbest shit I have ever heard of. Um, and also like maybe the future of our sport. Um, we've got players getting arrested. We we just have like transfer portal coaches stealing players from other teams. Like it just feels like one of those episodes, Aaron, you know? It is one of those. It's like it just means more. It just means more drama. I I enjoy, I enjoy, you know, look, we got two coordinators potentially at Alabama, so we'll talk about that. We got Ole Miss acquiring pieces, like stealing them from Auburn, stealing them from LSU, stealing them from Alabama. Lane Kiffin just just stealing stuff from folks. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you got a player getting arrested at Georgia. Obviously, the Jaden Rashada stuff. David Waters going to join us uh, from Gators Breakdown a little bit later on in the pods. He's going to give us sort of like all the not really the latest on Rashada, because I think the story has kind of already played itself out. But right. like, what, what does it mean for Billy Napier and for the organization for Florida moving forward? Uh, how do the fans really view that whole situation? We've got ex- contract extensions that are paying coaches eight, nine million dollars a year. Just so much stuff in the SEC to get to. And again, David Waters is going to join us from Gators Breakdown a little bit later on. Um, uh, Aaron, so much fun stuff to get to, so much drama. But before we do, of course, Fringe Element brought to you by. Fringe Element is brought to you by J.E. Dunn. If you're looking for um, a low drama, a low drama environment, a workplace that doesn't cause havoc on your mental health, but in fact does the opposite, J.E. Dunn is the place for you. Where your career just means more. How about that? Right. J.E. That- Dunn does have lots of money, but the SEC <laughs> seems more money, more problems. J.E. Dunn, still lots of money. Seemingly less problems than the SEC this past seven days. If they sign a contract to promise you $13 million, they will, in fact, go through with paying you that $13 million. $5 billion in annual revenue. I think they've got $13 mil lying around. Like, right. they, they can buy quarterbacks. J.E. Dunn can do that. Apparently, Florida Gators boosters cannot. But uh, J.E. Dunn can. Top 100 healthiest place to work in the United, in the United States. If you are yep. looking to make a change in your career, and it doesn't even have to be out of like your field. If you're in marketing, if you're in communications, if you're in design, if you're in social media management, construction, doesn't matter what you're in. If what you want to do is work for somebody who cares about you, then go check out J.E. Dunn. Click that little career tab button at the top there. Uh, check out what they've got. They've got offices all across the Southeast, all across the country. And uh, tell them that 440 sent you. So um, obviously, don't we... forget that part. Yeah, don't forget that part. Um, all right, so Ole Miss has two new quarterbacks in the portal and a new de- defensive coordinator. Alabama has no coordinators. Um, uh, Arkansas has three new coordinators we haven't really talked much about because that right. was a big deal. Um, uh, Georgia got two huge portal commitments, which happened a long time ago. One of them got arrested um, as far as wide receivers go. And, of course, the whole Jaden Rashada saga, we have not talked about it much on the pod, so we'll t- discuss a little bit more uh, on today's episode because I think it's more about like where – like, what does this whole episode mean for college football moving forward? But let's start real quickly with Josh Heupel getting an extension okay, uh, up to $9 million a year. 
Aaron uh, through 2028. And and like really the only like first of all, Shane Beamer got a big one a couple of weeks ago up to six and a half. You got a like a four million dollar raise from like two and a half to like six and a half. Um, Hugh Freeze, my favorite part of this entire story, Hugh Freeze at six and a half million dollars is now the 10th highest paid coach uh, in the SEC. The 10th highest paid coach. 10th. Josh Heupel at nine. Lane Kiffin at nine are still behind Nick Saban, Kirby Smart, Jimbo Fisher, and Brian Kelly. And extensions aren't really worth the paper they're printed on. Like you can still just be fired. Like it changes the buyout a little bit, but like basically you can still be fired or hired or, or, or you can leave or, or whatever. Um, but the firing can be as sweet as the hiring in terms of dollar signs. So you yeah. get fired in the SEC, you know, take your $13 million and go have a Mai Tai somewhere. Uh, well, we will be we will be discussing both Jeremy Pruitt and Dan Mullen today on the show, potentially. So, so uh, talking about coaches getting fired. Um, I, I just really the only thing I have to say, because I mean, it's a it's a day for Tennessee fans to celebrate, just like South mm-hmm. Carolina fans can celebrate their coach being good and their football team being good. Um, I think it's more about like if you want to complain, there's always there's always a lot of complaining about the professor the professionalization of our sport and i think a lot of people point to like name image and likeness which obviously caused a lot of problems at florida and transfer portal and free agency and all this stuff that happens but like i don't know man i think the hay's been out of the barn on this for a long time when the money changed around the turn of the century and tv revenue skyrocketed and coaching salaries skyrocketed and facilities spending skyrocketed I think it's been professional for like 20 years. I, I don't know what people are complaining about, but that's just me. So the professionalization of the sport. Well, you have to think about it in the sense of, you know, yes, are players going to make decisions based on money? Yes. But that already kind of is happening by the transitive property based on, you know, what the schools have with the glitz and glam of the schools. And now, you know, these players that have been completely capitalized on in a very, in a very money driven market in a very money-driven industry just finally getting to share that so the professionalization of this anytime there's money involved things change and you don't want you don't want the amount of money that's coming to collegiate athletics to not trickle down to the kids that are walking off the field with concussions every week so Mm. i say share the wealth and with that does come some changes in how the recruiting process works and some complications with the drama surrounding that but i don't necessarily think that the alternative is better well like so hypothetically if the highest paid coach in in the sec nick saban was making a million and a half dollars do you think we'd have the same outcry for like players to get paid for name, image, and likeness to be a thing for free agency slash portal to be a thing? Like, I think it's all connected. Like, you can trace it all back to the explosion of revenue in the sport. To me, to me, maybe maybe I'm being naive here, but if I think Nick Saban's only making, you know, one point two, and the and his coordinator's making two hundred fifty grand, I'm not sure we're as pissed off as as, at yeah, play- as a player. Yeah, like I think players getting like a, a massive education and like, like free food and the golf courses and the putt putts and like all this stuff that you do get at you benefit from as an athlete. I don't think we would look at that the same way if if the coaches were kind of just making barely enough to pay tuition. You know what I mean? Like, I, yeah, like I think it it's, all ties it ties back to how much money people were making. That's it. Like it trickles. The rising back. tide raises all ships, and not necessarily. In the way the phrase was intended, but the more money there is and the more money you can see and all of that stuff is public, yeah. um, 
the, you know, the more FOMO kicks in. Well, it's not. Well, but it's not even that. It's what you said. You, you're, you're the reason you're making nine million dollars is off the backs of a free labor force. Like we got to pay those guys. Mm-hmm. So if you're only making one million, it feels a lot better. <laughs> it does. Instead of making nine, and as soon as you start making nine, or as soon as the school starts making two hundred, yeah. instead instead of like forty two million, like or I don't spending three hundred million. Bingo, bingo. Yeah. If you if you can spend six hundred million dollars on a stadium renovation, you can pay the offensive lineman a couple grand. You know what I mean? Like one, or just make sure that they're at least not hungry. Right. <laughs> exactly. Which um, honestly, we've talked about this before. I even in college, that really was a thing. And that's not to call out Vanderbilt necessarily, but you get a certain amount of meals and then you get this these extra dollars you can spend. And truly, like my friends that played football were, you know spending their meals and then trying to order as much Domino's as they could at the end of the night because they're still actually hungry. So you should, your <laughs> coach should definitely not be making $9 million and you're yeah. trying to split skis on a Domino's pizza. Yeah. And, and eventually like, again, even before NIL, we said, Hey, all food is free at, at, at schools like that, that, that there were steps that were taken. Yeah. To that make... was, it was on the, tr- on the way to this. Right. It, yeah. It was after, yeah, it would have been after you were there, but right. like, it, again, there, the, my point is, is that if the salaries had stayed at like nineties level salaries and the TV contracts stayed at nineties levels, TV contracts and the money in the game had stayed in the nineties, it'd be different. I, yeah. I think free food matters a lot more. I think free tuition matters a lot more. I think traveling and all the, the extra stuff you get at the facilities would have mattered more but as soon as it, you start making it a hard dollars and cents gig where you can pay where the fifth highest paid coach in the SEC is now making nine million dollars a year and he's never even won his division. <laughs> I like I don't. That's freaking. This ridiculous. is the this is the professionalization of the sport. It just I just think it happened 20 years ago. And I think people are complaining about a lot of stuff that's happening now, which leads us to NIL and Rashad uh, Jaden Rashad. Of course, this is a California quarterback. He is the number 60 overall quarterback. Number seven in the country. So not even like a top five kid in the country. Very highly rated. Uh, and David Waters is going to tell us a lot more of the ins and outs and the details of this. But the, the quick Cliff Notes version of the story is, and those of you probably know most of this already, but this is a big time prospect. He was going to go to, he was going to Miami in the summer. It was kind of a Miami, Florida battle. November, he switches from Miami to Florida because the Gators want to prove that their NIL is bigger than Miami's. And so there's this $13 million four year kind of agreed upon contract. The language of the contract is a little iffy. Uh, it, the, the contract begins to be sort of like in the middle of December, early December, they kind of say, well, wait a second. We don't really have $13 million to give you here. Um, and so he stays, he still signs his letter of intent a couple weeks later. He's then asked for a release. He's been given a release. He's now interested in Arizona state, TCU, Washington, Colorado. He would have been the number one prospect in Florida's class. Mm-hmm. And he would have been the highest rated quarterback that Billy Napier would have signed in either of his two classes. Right. So it's like obviously important for Florida, but it felt like it was more it was more like ego collective in the state measuring contest. Yeah. Than it really was about the specific player. And I'm curious what you think about this. Because there's there's like market forces at play, right? Boosters have been spending, you know absurd and not accurate amounts of money on players for a long time <laughs> like without like business ROI right right so we're gonna we're gonna give stacks of hundred like we're gonna give stacks of money to players because we love them go you played well on Saturday right um 
now businesses are expecting like ROI on this, but that's also going to run headlong into the people who just have so much money that it doesn't matter. So I don't know, like this, this, this is my, my takeaway from all this. This ain't the first time. It ain't the last time. And it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better. In my opinion. That's your takeaway on this particular situation is tell me what you think about this specifically. Well, I don't, I think I, I feel bad for the kid, honestly. Like yeah. I, th- there some, from what you read, um, it was some booster basically promising him $13.5 million, but up to $13.5 million over a four-year period of time. And then the booster realized like, oh, wait a second, this is a, a four-star recruit that may never even see the field. And by all accounts, he was at the Elite 11 camps. By all accounts, very talented, very you know, uh, uh, interesting prospect, but like nowhere near college ready. Like He's not as good as the guys that are starting in the SEC right now. It's like so in-state keep away. So, yeah. And so I just think or a measuring contest or an ego thing or Mm -hmm. I don't know. To me, it is just an example of. Like how all the NIL stuff that's not set in stone yet, that's not been figured out, that's not been put in place can kind of just rear its ugly head. And I think the kid ends up looking bad because now we all know his name and we know his story. And like all he was doing was taking the money. (laughs) <laughs> right that's if yeah. somebody if i offered you 13 million dollars aaron are you are you taking it hell yeah <laughs> right, right so i don't so, know like there's a lot of different angles here there's an nil angle a rashad angle rashada angle and a florida angle really my hope is you know and i know that this is it's not just a it's not just university of florida thing it's all of the all of the factors uh, that now lie in between the coaching staff and recruiting staff and the player. And that used to be a much more direct line, but now money's involved. Donors are involved. Collective and agencies are involved in, you know, all the above in NCAA, everything. So my hope, not as a jab at Florida, but as a warning sign for the collectives and everybody that has any control of the situation, I hope that that this has some negative repercussions in terms of trust of players with collectives and with the school, not necessarily to punish Florida, because I know this has a lot more to do with the collective than it does in the donors than it does with the university. But unless there are negative repercussions with the trust factor, this will continue to happen and kids will be in on the receiving end, the bad or on the bad end of this equation. So I, I hope that it, causes kids to question where they're going and that the collectives and thus the universities kind of suffer from treating somebody like that. Otherwise, there's going to be kids committing families and individuals depending on this kind of money. And then it'll just get taken away in an instant. And that's not what this is supposed to be about. Well, and again, he asked Florida for his release. Florida said basically, okay. So like between him and Florida, the university, not a whole lot of drama here. It's it's it, this is exclusively about these third party people. And here, what about contracts too? think about your first job out of college? Like when I signed at rivals dot com for twenty thousand dollars a year, like I had no clue what was in that contract. I probably mm-hmm. should have known more, <laughs> mm-hmm. but, but I was like tw- and I was like twenty three and had a degree and still probably don't know exactly what was in that contract. Right. So I, I don't know how an eight, a 17 year old could could fully understand the legal ramifications of a what could be a pretty complicated document. So again, what this all tells me is that th- this is like 
to me, this was like the logical conclusion of where we are at with NIL. With mm-hmm. some sort of garbage like this that makes the kid look bad, not his own doing, makes the school look bad, not, not real, not really their doing. I mean, they probably like. There's probably conversations happening where they're. There, yeah, there's probably some nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Like, oh, we like this guy. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's it's sort of in-state rivalry ego driven because there's no freaking rules and there's no guidelines and Congress can't act and the NCAA can't act and the SEC can't act. And it's just I think we're going to see more of this nonsense before it gets better we will there's a lot of talk online too about the you know when what's the ncaa like ncaa gonna do and when are they gonna step in and it's like guys we saw (laughs) we saw them literally just sit on their own hands or turn uh, like you know turn their head away from problems for decades if you think that the ncaa stepping in to do something is the right solution or is what's going to happen that's going to make an effective change? You've not been paying attention. No, they, they've had opportunity. They've admitted it. Like there's people inside the building. That well, they kind of had to. <laughs> yeah, they were. They were like, "Oh yeah, we knew this was coming. We could have addressed it 25 years ago, and we didn't." So um, well, they also could have. Yeah, never mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Or could have done a million things. Uh, David Waters is going to join us from Gators Breakdown coming up in a few minutes. So he'll give you even more into like what does this mean for Billy Napier. What does this mean for the quarterback situation? It means Graham Mertz, is the transfer from, from Wisconsin, is going to clearly be your starter, which I think was going to be the case anyway. But what what does the fan base feel right now about Billy Napier after uh, you know the same exact record as Dan Mullen <laughs> and right. same kind of recruiting as Dan Mullen? And, oh, now you've got this weird kind of story that everyone in the world knows about. When, when a story like this breaks through the sports ecosystem into, like, my wife knows about it, then then we know we're like it's permeated the surface. Yeah, it's yeah. it's gotten into her timeline, you know what I mean? And like yeah. that's not a the, the only certain things ha- get into the get into the wife's timeline about yeah. you know about NIL shit. <laughs> yeah. She, <laughs> you, know I mean? you, you know it's you know it's far reaching when Yeah, she's not she's not she doesn't uh you know wake up in the morning and be like, "Hey, did you see that decommitment from <laughs> from Miami?" Like that's not part of her That's day-to-day. not really her thing. Yeah, she no. probably hears enough just third like, you know, yeah, from yeah, you yeah, yeah. downstairs, uh, even with the door shut. I, uh, I mean, if you're a Gators fan, there there are things to look forward to. I mean, I think that you know, with some exciting and like good players coming in in the next couple of years, with is it the there's a quarterback out of Texas in 2024? Uh, yeah, I think I think David actually is going to talk about him. So, oh, okay, okay. Um, so he, I was not on the David. Yes, David, David will Waters David part. David will sort of address the whole Florida thing again. I don't. There's bigger questions about Florida. I don't think this is a Florida problem. I think this is an NIL, NCAA, legal, Supreme Court, 2023 problem. (laughs) Which started with a dragging our feet as the NCAA problem. And when you, you know what, I'll just, I'll do it for a second. Dragging your feet as the NCAA. And then when you drug your feet so long, you had state uh, you had laws put in place that turned over the thing that you were not making headway on because you didn't want to. And then when which, states which actually start- made it worse. Sometimes. Right. Because when states start signing it into law, you did not have time to prepare right. and like fully for what was about to come. And because you drug your feet, now there are more growing pains and less things figured out than there would be no. had you strategically done this in a timely manner. Thank I believe the time. parable is build your house on rock, not sand? Yes. I think, I think there's something in there. I think there's Correct. a story in there that doesn't involve cutting a baby in half. I think or, it's about, you know. Or 
don't wait for a tornado before you build your house. Just go ahead and go. build it. So when the storm comes, you're ready. Yeah. With with brick, um, yeah, uh, with right, not sp straw. <laughs> speaking of commitments, J E Dunn committed to you, baby. J E Dunn.com is the website. Make sure you check them out. All fringe element stuff brought to you, of course, by J E Dunn. Make sure you're following us on the Twitter at uh, at uh, 440 Sports and on the YouTube page. You can watch Aaron sitting in her coffin talk about the NCAA, which I think is apropos, actually. So, um, but speak actually speaking of commitments, uh, Walker Howard, five star recruit, one of the best prospects in the country two years ago, goes to LSU. He is going to Ole Miss. He's the number five rated quarterback, according to 24-7 Sports, in the portal. I'm not sure I'm buying that. I think he's actually better. Spencer Sanders is the 20th rated quarterback in the portal. Not buying that either, because he's played 43 freaking football games at Oklahoma State and won a lot of them. He's also going to Ole Miss. Auburn wanted him desperately, mm -hmm. <laughs> and he would have been really good fit, I think, for Hugh Freeze's system. Technically, Devin Leary at Kentucky is the number two rated quarterback uh, in the country in the portal. He's he's going from NC State to Kentucky. So these would be the number two and three rated portal tr in transfers into the SEC at quarterback or I guess intra transfer. Right. For Walker Howard. Yes. Um, here, first of all, this does not speak highly of Jackson Dart, right? <laughs> mm, it says how the program feels. And I guess that's somewhat justified there's not consistency with him i definitely think jackson dart has potential but yeah this is this is pretty loud and clear <laughs> like tell me what you think of jackson dart without telling me what you think of jackson dart we're gonna, mm, they, we're gonna they take might two. as well have just said it well and so spencer sanders what's interesting is spencer sanders is kind of like a, a jackson dart who just played a lot more i mean this yeah. guy had 40 interceptions he's won a lot of games he's produced a lot but he was the, the knock on spencer sanders for you non-sec fans who have not watched him was that he turned the ball over a lot. At one point, I think over a three-year period, he had more turnovers than anybody else in all of college football. And with with and with injuries, if he if he doesn't turn the ball over and he stays healthy, then Oklahoma State was really good. When he turned the ball over or was injured, Oklahoma State fell off a cliff. And so I think he's good for Lane Kiffin's offense. I think he's even better for Hugh Freeze's at Auburn. I think the hot take here is that Walker Howard could be legitimately a bona fide option for Ole Miss to start at quarterback this year because his arm is probably already by far the best and most accurate throwing arm on this roster, better than Jackson Dart, and, of course, better than Spencer Sanders. In my opinion, that's the hot take. Do you think Spencer Sanders, because I haven't gotten the chance to watch him play all that much because I've been pretty SEC hyper-focused, but do you see personality similarities between Spencer Sanders and Jackson Dart as well as playing similarities because Jackson Dart some people will say it, I've seen it at times like a little bit of a not super justified ego um not kind of that kind of that total that's... accountability for yeah. what the team is doing in any particular situation I'm also not saying I, I can't say that it's all the quarterback's fault because I'm the first one to say right. it's the whole unit but do you see similarities in that sense I don't I don't think so but I also don't want to speak out of turn and be like yeah I think Jackson Dart is X when like it's I don't you know I'm what not I mean? trying like to it, do that either because we haven't gotten to see that that much I, I think Sanders is pretty well respected by his teammates from what I gather and from what I understand and that he's pretty well respected by the media I think he's I, you know, Mike Gundy's a little weird. He's kind of like Dabo Sweeney, um, a little weird. But I think 
I mean, he started. He he was the guy for four years. I mean, this guy started forty three games over four years for Oklahoma State. It's almost ten thousand passing yards. In yeah, that amount of time. Two thousand yards rushing. I mean, the guy's you know sixty seven touchdown passes, eighteen rushing. I mean, this guy is very productive. The right. question the question is is he is he more you know accumulate does he accumulate stats because he was the best option, and now you're stepping up in competition again. I don't see the inaccuracies and the inconsistencies are my concerns with Jackson Dart. Those would be my same concerns with Spencer Sanders. Right. And it's the and because I don't know about Walker Howard, that's why I'm kind of like, eh, what about this guy? Maybe. <laughs> How much? And I think the other question that we can't really answer is, I mean, with Walker Howard being different, maybe he's an outlier of this particular topic that I'm about to bring up. But just, you know, trying to consider again, we can't answer it, how much you, where, where, is there any fall off with Jackson Dart already knowing the system? So how much better does Spencer yeah. Sanders need to be in the preseason in order to take that spot from somebody who already knows the system and, and how much of a, I guess, how much of a lag does that create um, it's, for that's Ole Miss's offense? That's an interesting question because I think Sanders is kind of a proven commodity. I think you could actually argue that Jackson Dart has the bigger question marks because you just have less film on him, less tape, less experience. One season, but and so one all season, he has is knowing the playbook. Yeah, and one season in the system, to your point, which is valuable. But like Sanders, I think I think Lane Kiffin takes Spencer Sanders knowing exactly what he is. I don't think you like. There's no questions to me. The Walker Howard play is the extreme upside play. It's like this right. guy was a five, like a five star, top fifty type of player. He's more highly rated than the other guys. I think his arm talent is better. Now he, he he's not nearly as athletic. He's a, he's a smaller player. He's like six one two hundred. He's not the the six three two fifteen kind of rushing guy. Um, but to me, there's upside with with a in a system where you have to be accurate. I, the question is is as Spurrier used to say, if you have three quarterbacks, you got none. I I don't know. That's the question is. I do think I do like Ole Miss if they go into the season with if, if it's Jackson Dart as a starter and that's it. I, I would say this could be a pretty good team. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think when you've got certain offensive minds too that are in charge of the playbook, someone like Lane Kiffin who yeah. just gets it and can adapt uh, is not so rigid and that he that he won't adapt his strategy and is creative in terms of play calling and building out plays and, you know, creating a playbook right. that can keep other teams on their toes and, you know, and come close to beating teams like Alabama and those other top tier teams. Um, I think that, you know, it gives you a little bit more flexibility. Like you said, sometimes what the court, the having three quarterbacks means you have zero. A lot of that comes from in a lack of ability for a coaching staff to make a decision in time. We talk about that a lot in the off season. It's like, at some point you just got to pick. Um, I well, don't and, think that and, will be a problem with Lane, Lane Kiffin. Well, and Lane like intentionally did not last season where he started one guy, one game and said he was going to start the other guy, the other game. Luke Altmyer is now tra transferred away, by the way. Right. Uh, I, I would not be surprised if one other guy transferred. Here's what I would love because I saw, I don't know if you saw Lane uh, Twitter trolling Tennessee and Auburn. I didn't where you like tags them. And it's like, I can't remember what it was. It was like a picture of a sign outside of business that was like pink is the new orange or something, something like that. And it was, yeah. and then he tags Tennessee and Auburn in the, in the tweet. And he's just like, Hey guys, <laughs> like he's, God. he's just such a fucking troll. I love but it. I would love nothing more than for, and I hate this for Spencer Sanders, if this was true, but in, but like the media guy in me says, man, I just hope you promised him the starting job to keep him from going to Auburn. Like that would be, 
that's that be, the story. That's that the would be, story. That would be so much fun. But also, I'd feel bad for Spencer Sanders. So. Speak, I would too. That's that's where my mind goes first. But I will say, no matter what happens on that front, I know that for Auburn, like there are some serious growing pains just with Auburn in general. But Robbie Ashford this past season, I will say though without having a lot of evidence or necessarily stats to back this up. <laughs> Always the best way to start a sentence. <laughs> well, you know, sometimes your gut instinct is right. I think Robbie Ashford has something really special. I don't know if that will end up playing out the way that Auburn would like it to, but you can tell by the way this kid navigates. Do you remember like on the sidelines this past year when him and Tank kind of got into it and you could see Robbie go up to him? It's like, yeah. what did he say? He's like, don't give up on me. And yeah. having that belief in yourself, that's got some Stetson Bennett to it in the sense of, I believe in me. Can you please just give me a chance? And there's something intangibly promising about that to me. Yeah, now, is that enough to succeed in the SEC? I don't know. But I do think that there's something really special about Robbie Ashford that I hope he can figure out. Those are the types of intangibles that J.E. Dunn craves in their employees. And when you have those types of intangibles, you will nice. succeed at J.E. Dunn. So make sure you check them out. J.E. They got career opportunities all over the place. Top 100 healthiest place to work. Um, I find it interesting that that Hugh Freeze and Auburn tried their damnedest to get anybody in the portal to come play quarterback for them. If they felt that, I think common sense is that, oh, if they felt that good about Robbie Ashford, well, why are they trying to get all these quarterbacks to come to them this desperate? Why are they so thirsty in the portal? And I, I would, I, I can also see every single head coach in the history of mankind just wanting all of the quarterbacks, like just. I need I need as many as I can because you never know what's going to happen. You never know when you find the right guy or somebody gets hurt or right. you know whatever. So I don't I don't I'm with you. I don't I don't hate Robbie Ashford at all as the guy to run Hugh Freeze system. I think there's a lot of potential there. Um, Ole Miss also stole Pete Golding from Alabama, their defensive coordinator. I think you've seen progression from Ole Miss on defense very slowly, right? <laughs> over the next couple of years. I think Alabama fans, they've kind of been okay losing Bill O'Brien. They've kind of been okay losing Pete Golding. But here's his defenses the last four years. 4.6 yards per play, fourth in the nation, first in the SEC this past year. Uh, 4.77 yards per play two years ago, 11th in the nation, third in the SEC. In 2020, the year they won the Natty, 5.0 yards per play, 20th in the nation, uh, number two in the SEC. So technically, he's gotten better three years in a row. His defenses have from an efficiency standpoint. Uh, his first season, 2019, 4.8 yards per play, 15th in the nation, second in the SEC, top 20 scoring defense all four years. I, I don't think Pete Golding is as respected as Jeremy Pruitt or Kirby Smart or some of these other guys that have been there, but his defenses have been pretty damn good. Um, I think the fans are happier Bill O'Brien is gone, and I do think <laughs> while he may not be good enough to win national championships and be as good as Saban wants him to be, I do think it's a hell of an upgrade for Ole Miss. And I think mm -hmm. Ole Miss is getting two transfer quarterbacks and Pete Golding in the same week. I, I think Ole Miss has won the week for sure. Yep. Eight, five. So, I mean, you read off a lot of stuff there, but it's the amount of five star Sorry. recruits. No, it's okay. That, um, that Pete Golding's been able to bring in um, is very good at his job in that sense. Um, also very well known for his ability to make connections with families and players, which is at the heart of recruiting. Although money has become a factor, making sure that somebody understands your talent and is on your side and sees you for the player that you think you are is 
you know, I don't know if it can trump thinking you're going to make $13 million, but it is very valuable. <laughs> um, and no, so I, I, no, I we're think you're seeing right relationships play out and how heavy of a hand they have had in program success. We talk about Josh Heupel. We talk about Shane Beamer um, and just what they've been able to do. And then you see the lack of that in someone like, you know, Dan Mullen, who uh, it just it just wasn't working, you know. So there's yeah. a lot to be said yeah. for that. Um, and I think all of this movement says a lot about even though Lane is a troll on Twitter, um, Lane's also a relationship guy. Um, he so, gets and he's I think he smart. Gets it. I think he, gets he gets it. it. Yeah. So uh, I, I think you're great. I think you're absolutely right. Uh, and you make a great point to point out the recruiting. It's not just that his defenses have been great at Alabama or, or at least really, really good. Um, I, I think it's that he's also been a great recruiter. I, I t again, he also looks natural in a visor, which works for Ole Miss and Alabama. Very, very, very much a visor guy. Um, it's, that's funny that you noticed that. I love that. Uh, what's interesting is that, again, it's not like one man's trash is another man's treasure. That's not I don't think how this should be viewed. But I, I, I also can understand that while maybe you're not good enough for Bama, it was on, he left on his own accord, just like Bill O'Brien left on his own accord to go be the offensive coordinator for New England. I do think Pete Golding was not long for the job at some point in the near future, and he decided to get out ahead of time and had a really nice landing spot. And I think it's a great hire by Ole Miss. I think it's a good move. So I think Ole Miss had has had one hell of a uh, a season. Now this brings us to the offensive coordinators at Alabama, which of course Bill O'Brien has left. Now twenty four and four, forty one points a game, and a Heisman Trophy. Okay, <laughs> not terrible numbers, <laughs> but people hate the guy. <laughs> um. But what's interesting is you got Steve Sarkeesian, who's now the head coach of Texas. Then you had, you had, or I guess you had Lane Kiffin before that, right? Now the head coach at Ole Miss. Then Steve Sarkeesian, head coach of Texas. Then Brian Dayball, who I did not have a ton of like confidence in, but has turned out to be brilliant, went to be the OC at the Buffalo Bills and is now the head coach of the Giants and, and totally fixed Daniel Jones in one year and has them in the playoffs. Um, then you have Mike Loxley, who's the head coach at Maryland. Uh, and now you have uh, Bill O'Brien, who's the head coach at, or, or the offensive coordinator at New England. When I'm long, long story short here, those are the last five offensive coordinators for Nick Saban. They've all gone on to have elite jobs afterward, so the job should be extremely highly sought after. And if I'm should Nick be. Saban, I'm going big here, man. Like Dan Mullen, motherfucker, <laughs> like Cliff Kingsbury, like give me the biggest dude possible. Come on in and run my offense. I, why? Why not, Jeremy Pruitt? Come on down if the NCAA will let you. Come on down. Does Dan Mullen like have a consistent TV gig though? He so he looked pretty comfortable on TV last year. He looked pretty good, but he and he's got the buyout money. Pruitt yeah. Pruitt, Pruitt doesn't have the buyout. <laughs> you know, you know what is a will make you a lot of money being fired as an SEC head coach and being hired by Disney. Yeah, that's true. Uh, also, ESPN Cliff contract and buyout—you're sitting real pretty. I I think Cliff Kingsbury's buyout was like twelve million, and apparently he's just like on a boat in Thailand right now. Sick. That's what I would do. <laughs> that's exactly what I would do. Also, <laughs> but so the reason I bring up Kingsbury is because when we talked about when Mike Leach passed away, and I did a lot of talking to coordinators about like what was the best way to evolve Mike Leach's system to be even better because that's what's being played right now in the NFL and at the SEC level. And every co the guys, almost everybody said Cliff Kingsbury was the guy who did it. 
He's the guy who added the power rushing attack and got it to be balanced. And he figured it out with Johnny Manziel at AM. He was the coordinator there. He figured it out at Texas Tech. And 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 I think Kingsbury is like, why not? If you're Alabama, dude. Like, who else? Like Joe Brady, go for it. Like, yeah. This is Alabama here. Like they could lose both coordinators and end up better next year. I mean, you just can't. If you're underestimating what that program could do, again, you might be as paying as much attention as someone who thinks the NCAA can fix the problem. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so Jeremy Pruitt could be an option. Apparently, would be welcomed back by by Nick Saban. Um, but there could be some NCAA violations. He's currently also with the Giants, I believe. Um, so it's more about like the show cause and is he allowed to actually. Like he could be hired as the coordinator and like not allowed to recruit. Like that'd be weird, right? Yeah. Mrs. Pruitt's definitely not allowed to go um, recruit. Um, the other name, Glenn Schumann, of course, is the Georgia co-defensive coordinator. He used to be at Alabama. He's a big name that's going to get a lot of run on this. And the name I'd go after, I'd go super big here. I'd go Cliff Kingsbury and Jim Leonard. And I would hire like the hottest offensive and defensive coordinators in the world. And Nick Saban just be like, all right, Kirby, let's go, baby. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Kirby's the big dog right now. You got to take him down. I know. He, I, and I know that I know that Saban probably won't stop until he does it at least one more time. Oh, there's no way he doesn't win another title. He's not go and he won't go out before he does. He's going out on a win, although that's a really hard thing to do because when you win, you want to keep going. But I just can't see Nick Saban ending his career on anything but that. I, so let's say Kirby does the three peat never before done. Never before done does the three peat, and then in the four peat, Nick Saban whips that ass. Uh, that's where I could see him saying, "All right, man, I got my eighth ring, and I just de- and I just ended the three year dynasty." I think if he does it this year, which would be impressive with Ty Simpson and Jalen Milrow and all the and two new coordinators, and I mean, I think it's still Georgia's Georgia's conference, but yeah <laughs> there's no way bama doesn't win another title under nick saban there's no, no. way no 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 oh, that's man. not the that's not the end of the legacy he's trying to leave so like I, we're going to talk about arkansas here in just a second they're losing both their coordinators very different vibe than when i feel like i look at look at alabama and i know he's had to replace coaches before but look at that list of guys he's had man it's just i mean his last three defensive coordinators i think are Kirby Smart, Jeremy Pruitt, and Pete Golding. Like, I already rattled off his OCs. No, it's wild. It's wild. <laughs> different, different situation with with Arkansas. And this is what this is what we have we were hoping was gonna keep Arkansas heading in that contruck in that Kentucky. That kind of makes sense too. Kentucky trajectory. Kentucky. Yeah, I combined on. trajectory and Kentucky into Kentucky. I thought it was a like a Grateful Dead keep on trucking reference, like a Kentucky, like just keep right. on trucking, Kentucky. <laughs> Could be, but the consistency, I think, with Arkansas was something that we were hoping would allow them to build and just, yeah. you know, keeping people around. And it's going to be a little bit of some building blocks to put back in place for them. Yeah, well, I have no real concerns about Alabama's ability to fill their coaching staff. Uh, Arkansas is a different story. And I think you're right to point it out. Now, first of all, by the way, David Waters coming up in just a second, covering the the Florida Gators and everything from Jaden Rashada to the depth chart, to the quarterback situation and to recruiting. Um, it, so he hires Barry Odom leaves to go to be the head coach at, at UNLV. Ken O'Brien leaves to, to for greener pastures as well. And we kind of knew this was going to happen at some point. So how can he adjust? This is a huge test for Sam Pittman in his first real chance to have to like run a program. 
And Travis Williams is hired from UCF along with Marcus Woodson to be the kind of co-defensive coordinators. I think many people view that as a successful hire. Williams's defenses at UCF were solid. He's a linebacker from Auburn, pretty pretty well respected in SEC circles. Uh, pretty good defense two years ago. Not as good this year, but they won ten games, and so I think that's as good as I think he could have done on that side of the ball. Um, we just got done talking about like big names, Dan Mullen, Cliff Kingsbury, all this other stuff. Dan Enos, uh, not one of those names. <laughs> um, this is one, one of the weirdest moves I've ever seen, and I remember when it happened. He's the head coach at Central Michigan. And he left to be an offensive coordinator at Arkansas under Brett Bielema in 2015. And his offenses got progressively worse. His offenses have kind of gotten progressively worse everywhere he's been. Um, he's the guy who, remember, was at Alabama and kind of ghosted Nick Saban, supposedly, reportedly. In 2018. Yeah, to, to leave to go to Miami and like didn't really tell anybody. There was like a big hubbaloo. Hubbaloo? Hullabaloo? Hullabaloo? Hullabaloo. I do not know. I'm not going to lie. A brouhaha. Um, a, a Donnie Brook. I think those are more like fights. But anyway, I, this Miami me, the, than Maryland, <laughs> right? And and they had a very good efficient season. The quarterbacks at Alabama, but that was, you know, Tua and Jalen Hurts, right? With, with Alabama players, uh, Maryland did have a very efficient passing attack, one of the best in school history under Danny Nose. So there's not, it's not all bad. He's very experienced. He knows the region. He knows Arkansas. It just doesn't feel big timey at all. And uh, to me, this is all about. Can Sam Pittman show us that he can overcome this type of adversity as a CEO sort of offensive line head coach, right? Mm -hmm. I do trust that there's something that maybe isn't popping to the forefront of my mind with this hire that Sam Pittman sees. You have to imagine that there is, at least in his mind, something that is not coming to the forefront of mine. Um, and so <laughs> if you have to, if you press yourself hard to figure out what he is going to bring, what would you say? And then what does Arkansas lose with losing Kendall Bryles? Um, I think Kendall Bryles also kind of like Bill O'Brien was pretty good, but at times frustrating for fans. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I agree. I, I think the thing that if I'm his, if I'm Sam Pittman, there's two things that I know Danny Enos brings to the table, I think. And that is getting some, getting efficient quarterback play. So maybe making KJ Jefferson just a little bit more efficient. Right. And and lots of experience. This is a guy who's been around a long time and has coached a lot of games and, and has in a, a lot, lot of, of different types of programs. Right. Big difference between Miami and Maryland. Big difference between, you know, yep. all, all the places he's coached has been a different type of adversity. And knows Arkansas like he knows the lay of the land in Arkansas, which is very different today than it was then. But so I, that's the sell is that Talia Tungavaloa who was ironically the brother at Maryland of Tua mm -hmm. uh, that he coached had a great season this year. And, and the Alabama quarterbacks were great in 18, but there's sort of this weird, like, Oh, he left the head coaching role to be a coordinator. He didn't, did he leave Alabama the right way? He then was fired by Miami. Like it's not, it hasn't really been smooth right? Um, for him. And it doesn't feel, it, it also feels like Dan Enos was like ready to go. As soon as Kendall Browse was gone, like this didn't take a long time. This wasn't like a long, prolonged search. This was like, right. oh, hey, Dan Enos, come be the OC. I got you ready to go. So I'm just, it, listen, it, I don't know if it's going to work out. I think they're going to be fine this year. I don't know long term, but this is more about is Sam Pittman capable of this type of overturning program building stuff that we just need to see from him? We just have, he, yeah. he probably, he could be great at it. We don't know. We just haven't seen it. Right. Exactly. So there you go. Uh, There's that. Uh, Ray Ray Thomas arrested for a felony at Georgia. I'll let you do the reading if you want to read about it. Whoopsie. It's it's not it's not like 
the worst, Aaron, but it's not good either. <laughs> That's all I could say. I, the I'm worst, so... the worst in SEC arrests is not a bragging. No, like, but I'm just I'm you tired don't even of, want to be close to that. <laughs> I'm just tired, and maybe I'm doing this. Maybe and speak to this if you want. It's your right to. Uh, maybe I'm because I'm just tired of trying to dissect like disagreements between man and woman that I just can't like. I I don't understand. I don't understand the behavior. I don't understand the desire. I don't understand the. I don't understand how people's brains are working. I don't. I don't understand, and because i'm not there and i'm not in the room i don't want to pretend to understand and i it's just i don't know he, he apparently they were like stole each other's phones and were yelling at each other and the police showed up and like i again i like i don't even i don't know i'm i yeah i'm, I'm too tired to talk about it <laughs> <laughs> uh that is all you need Stop to know being fucking crazy all hey. everybody there you go. I think that is a great place to end it. Uh, all right. When we come back, David Waters from Gators Breakdown is going to give us all the latest on what the hell is happening in Gainesville. David, welcome to the show, man. Always good to see you. How are you, sir? Pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, man, Gators <laughs> Breakdown. Yeah, there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation is the moniker, and Braden, it, 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 lives, up to the, it lives up to it every day. Oh, there's stuff happening in Gainesville right now. There's, there's <laughs> things going on. Um, I do want to talk about the program, about where the roster is, sort of year one, kind of quick state of the union, Billy Napier, and then move forward with it. But obviously, we, we want to get into the the soap opera, the minutia, and the details of the Jaden Rashada situation. And I don't need you to recount every single date and the decommitment and the commitment and everything else. I just am curious, like, who does this fall on? I think I think the player is probably being treated unfairly by the media and maybe by fans. So who do the fans blame in this in this situation for how it's all played out? And in your opinion, who's actually to be blamed for how this whole thing is played out? Yeah, probably got to lay it out a little bit. You know, he did decommit uh, from Miami, committed to Florida, and that was in November. Uh, and then uh, December 7th rolls around and, you know, whatever NIL contract he has is terminated uh, by the Gator Collective. And of course, you know, you see that. Well, okay, why is the Gator Collective terminating the deal? Uh, well, the money wasn't there. Uh, apparently, you know, the money was promised, and the money that the Gator Collective did not negotiate the contract. That negotiation was outside of the Gator Collective. They just drafted, they used their template to come up with the contract. So the the reported $13.85 million deal was say, hey, this is the number that's supposed to be in the contract. And the Gator Collective trusted that number uh, with a representative that they had worked with plenty of times before. Uh, had no reason to question it. So, all right, that's – and then December 7th rolls around, and, hey, this this money's not there. And whoever promised that money was like, no, that, that $13 million, that, that's not happening. So the Gator Collective at that time on December 7th decided to terminate the contract. Well, December 21st rolls around for early signing day. Jaden Rashada still signs with Florida, even though that deal was terminated. Uh, so so you, you go back and look at it. Okay, well, what that we're told was we're going to work it out. Yeah, we'll terminate the contract on December 7th, but we're, we're, we're going to work this out. We'll, we'll figure it out. Negotiations will happen. That's the world of college football right now. Uh, in NIL, with, the term negotiation is a legit term now, uh, and that's what's going to happen. So they thought it would get figured out. He still signs with Florida, and then 
as we know, it it never gets figured out. Uh, that thirteen yeah. million look, one player is not worth thirteen million dollars. So I know we've all heard of the numbers out there for NIL and certain. Uh, well, I am Aleva at Tennessee, and the reported what eight million, I think, is yeah, the about, yeah, yeah. So. Yeah. 13 million, that's a huge jump for anybody. I mean, if I go back to 2006 and Tim Tebow is a high school recruit, yeah, revisionist history says, okay, he's probably worth $13 million. Sure. In 2006, he's coming in as a true friend. I'm not paying Tim Tebow $13 million. Well, and I think that's part of my, that's part of what's so interesting to me is that I don't think, like, if I'm a, if I'm an 18 year old kid and somebody offers me up to, even if it's just up to $13 million, yeah. it, it wasn't even necessarily exactly 13, but up to that number, like, of course, me and my family are going to say yes to that. Um, I, I, my issue is you have all these different forces at play, like boosters in college football have been overspending the value of the player for a hundred years. Like this is not a new thing. I mean, you, you know, boosters don't expect ROI when they were given players <laughs> stacks, you know, when, when Fred Taylor's getting stacks, like yeah. he's not, he's not, he's not returning any of that investment to the booster except for on the football field. Now there's actually some business investment that's expected out of that. But again, even then, if you got enough money, it's no different than buying a, you know, yep. a Maserati instead of buying like a, a you know, a Camry. You're doing it because you can. And so that force is at play. But then there's also this other force that says, I, I mean, this is not like you said, Nico Yamalave is the number one quarterback, number one player in America. This is not even necessarily like Miami's top quarterback commit. He's a really good talent. He's got a lot of ability. But there's these are 50 50 propositions on players of his caliber and he's got a long way to go he's not a freshman starter at florida like what mm -hmm. what force at play led them to the pro i guess i don't even know what the, i don't know what the question is is it just is it just like the gators and the miami and the florida state in-state like rivalry that led to this or do they really actually believe that he could have been the savior of the program no, I don't think that. Uh, and I do think narrative probably played a part in this. You know, Florida, Miami had a ton of battles going back to the summer and the fall of, you know, who's going where and what commit can they get. And Jaden Rashada, you know, that was a true battle. It was a true Florida, Miami battle in the summer. Right. He chooses Miami uh, there in the summertime. But even when he committed, I was like, hey, don't don't give up on this one. He still likes Florida. He loves Billy Napier. He loves Ryan O'Hara. He's still going to talk to Florida in the coming months. Miami has some issues on the field. They're not winning ball games. That conversation ramps up a, little bit, a, a bit more. Uh, and look, I don't even think when he flipped from what I can gather now, when he flipped from Miami to Florida, there was an ideal negotiation going on in place, but it wasn't, hey, here's $13 million. Right. This is going to flip you from Miami to Florida. No, he was very interested in Florida anyway. May have even been the school he wanted to go to in the first place. Miami's in an ill deal early on. Blue Florida's out of the water. He commits to Miami. Florida figures it out. Um, but when he flipped from, you know, in November, flipping from Miami to Florida, it's, it's not, Hey, here's $13 million. Come flip to Florida. That, 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 that's not how it happened. Is, is there any sense as to why the money wasn't there? Like, it, like, again, if, if Yellowwood guy wants a, yeah. a quarterback at Auburn, and even if he's, uh, even if it's a dumb business decision, he can still right. just write the check for 2 million a year to a quarterback. And it probably does. It's a rounding error in, in old Yellowwood's bank account. So I don't, like what, what, what where'd the money go <laughs> yeah I, I, there's two ways to look that's the one i can't nail down Brady. and even from people i'm talking to it's either a miscommunication of some sorts of maybe 13 million was meant for the rest of the class and, and building out the rest of the class and there was some miscommunication but either way it doesn't matter somebody right, signed right. off on it 
Right. I mean, somebody signed off on it. That that that's <laughs> where it gets kind of ugly. It's like it doesn't matter if it was miscommunicated. It doesn't matter if it was snuck in by somebody somehow, some way. It was in the contract. Yeah. Somebody still signed off on it. So there's still some blame to go around there on, on who signed off on it. Uh, but yeah, I think looking at it from you know the probably what we're gathering you know, one booster who was going to promise this 13 million dollars is like no that we're, we're, yeah. we're, I'm, I'm not paying it and which, which again i i totally understand rashada taking the deal and then backing out i totally understand the booster saying yeah i'm not so sure about 13 million dollars yeah. for a quarterback that may be more of a i i don't like it's almost like my two children fighting over a toy like <laughs> like, like they they actually don't want to play with the toy they just want to win the battle with the <laughs> other one to get the toy which which leads me to why this would take place. And again, I think Jaden Rashada, unfortunately, is just sort of like the the representative. He's the cutout for for what is going on with the Florida program. And I still have no questions about Billy Napier long term, big picture. I don't think there's nearly enough data to indicate whether or not this was or was not the right decision. First of all, where are Florida fans on the first season? And where are Florida fans on like the state of the program? Because it's from the outside looking in, it seems like this whole saga is is like the angst of Florida fans come to life. Does that does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, you know, this is the second season in a row. Florida finishes six and seven uh, there with Dan Mullins last year, but next first year, uh, so a lot of fans were wondering, hey, what, where was the growth? And you know, where where we made a change? Where was the growth uh, in, in the program? You had Anthony Richardson at quarterback. All kind of it still may be your first round pick. Uh, you know, and a lot of people were. You know, say if, if he's going to end up being a first round pick, then if he was that good, then why is Florida still six and seven? Uh, you know, so did Billy Napier get the most out of, out of an offense, a defense that did not get any better? If you can point to anything, maybe they were better in creating turnovers, but you know, th- there was a thought, Braden, that coming into this season, hey, Todd Grantham is the issue. And no, no matter who's <laughs> on the sideline, this defense is going to be better. They weren't. You know, this yeah. defense did not take a lot of steps at all. Uh, as I said, the only thing you could probably really point to is creating turnovers. So there's still the question on the field if if Billy Napier can can get it done uh, once he gets his guys in here. Now, yeah, I think if you, a feather in his cap, if you go back and look at the the team, the better players on the team were his guys. It was Osiris Torrance, a transfer from Louisiana. It was Montreal Johnson, a transfer from Louisiana. Ricky Pearsall, a transfer from Arizona State. Trevor Etienne, a true freshman running back. These were guys he brought into the program, and they were the better players on the team. So hopefully you can multiply that in the coming years. And the guys that are, he brings in through the transfer portal, guys that he recruits and develops, all right, that, that, that maybe year right. one is a sign of my guys, and this will work as I build this. But also, Brady, now we go to and look at recruiting, and now with this Rashada situation, this is two classes in a row for Billy Napier. You're not bringing in a top-flight quarterback. And we're, we're already looking to 24 and DJ Lagway being committed for Billy Napier's first big signature quarterback. Uh, now, when's he going to play? Is he going to come in as a true freshman in 24 and light the world on fire? Probably not. So now yeah. are we really waiting until 2025 to see the, the fruits of quarterback recruiting and, and the labor that goes behind that before, we, before it bears fruit? So there's a lot of questions going around because Florida – mass exodus at the transfer portal they've had a mass exodus in the transfer portal with nine transfer guys coming in uh and, and a class that now has fallen to about 15th on 24 7 top of the class is really good the player average is really good but it's only 20 players and that's two years in a row where it's only 20 player class so you've had to build the roster and it really is start from ground zero and we're going to build it in our vision our way and break the simple way and i know fans don't want to hear it patience i mean yeah. if, if gator fans don't have it we know uh, it, but that's that, that's that's the reality of it. 
Yeah, teardowns and rebuilds uh, at places like Kentucky, they'll they'll give you some time on it. At places like Florida and Tennessee and Georgia and LSU, they they don't have nearly as much patience, and that's understandable. And Um, that's part of it too. Florida State, yeah, heavy, heavy, heavy in the transfer portal, and and it's starting to bear some fruit there for Mike Norville. LSU, very heavy in the transfer portal, and these are two teams that's on your schedule every year. Georgia's winning national championships back to back. I mean, it, it just looks like, you know, team, Tennessee and the, and the season they just had, you know, it's just like, not only is it Billy Napier, it's the teams that are on the schedule around and you're pointing to, hey, stock up to Georgia, stock up at LSU, stock up at FSU, stock up at Tennessee. <laughs> and Florida's just right now, okay, well, we're, we're going to tear it down. We're going to rebuild it while all of these other teams are winning ballgames. So they're going to be fine with all four of those teams being ranked in the preseason top 12. Your, right. your Florida fans are fine with it. <laughs> right. You got that. I mean, and Utah's on the schedule again. They'll be oh, top 15. We, we, yeah. So, I mean, you're looking at Billy Napier's second year and you're looking for growth. You may have growth, but with that schedule, are you really going to see it in a win-loss record? So give me a state. I mean, obviously it's early. There's still more transferring that could be done. There's another window that's open in the spring after spring practice. But just give me a sense of, like I, Graham Mertz was a highly touted player at Wisconsin. He developed extremely slowly, and Wisconsin fans would tell you that it never really met, it never really clicked. I would argue he was a bad fit for the system. Um, so I think I think Graham Mertz right now is kind of a punchline with people that don't know that he's probably going to be. This will probably be his best season um, as a player in college football. Is he better than Anthony Richardson? No. Is he more accurate in the pocket? Maybe. <laughs> um, so I'm curious, just outside of him. Yeah. What what does the roster look like? And you don't have to do every position here, but I'm just curious, like line of scrimmage, playmakers, defense, you know, how are they relative to last season at this stage of the of the calendar? Yeah, I think last year we knew offensive line was going to be a strength for Florida. They returned a lot of players and they were bringing in Osiris Torrance. So, OK, you know, we, we, a, a position group that had been much maligned for Florida in, in, in recent years. Hey, maybe we can finally count on that group. And, and it played out mostly that way uh, during the season. But then mass exodus after the season, Osiris Torrance goes to the NFL. Richard Garage goes to the NFL. Michael Tarquin, Ethan White both transfer to USC. Those are guys we were thinking would be on Florida spring roster going into the spring and maybe start. And so you got to retool the offensive line. And look, when I was looking at transfer quarterbacks for Florida, it was like, okay, well, this is going to have to be a quarterback that may have to make up for a ground game that takes a dip because of a retooled offensive line. And as I mentioned, the other, the other side of the ball in defense, what do you get on that side of the ball? So can you get a quarterback that's going to make up for those differences? That's going to be remain to be seen uh, there for Graham Mertz. Can he make up for a bad defense? Can he make up for a running game that may take a step back uh, there? But, you know, Florida did a pretty good job of really hitting offensive line and transfer portal. Uh, Michael Mazuka transferred from Baylor, uh, one of the best offensive guards that Florida could have went and got uh, in, in the transfer portal, transfers to Florida. And you got to think Osiris Torrance development of what we just saw at Louisiana right. and Florida probably played a big issue uh, of or a big reason why he committed to Florida. Uh, and Damian George, a transfer from Alabama, played some games for Alabama a couple years ago. Uh, didn't play a whole lot for Alabama this past year. Probably took a step back, uh, but you know Florida's going to go uh, get him. So you got Mazuka, Damian George to try and retool this offensive line a bit. But Florida really had to hit linebacker hard uh, on the defensive side of the ball. They got three linebackers in the transfer portal. You know, Deuce Spurlock, Taraja Mitchell, Spurlock from Michigan, Mitchell from Ohio State. Played a lot two years ago, didn't play so much. Uh, this past season. So can you get something from him? Uh, and also recently, um, uh, Ronald Nunnery, uh, 
a linebacker from Houston. Uh, a lot of production uh, going on there at Houston. Uh, so Florida needed bodies, needed production at the linebacker spot. Uh, went and hit that in the transfer portal. But I, I think, Braden, we still have to look at defense. Florida's got to get better in defense. You can't go 2020, 2021, 2022 with just – inexplicable future defense. And uh, I think, you know, up front, they went and got Cameron Jackson from Memphis who plug and play need to take, need to take over for Jervon Dexter and some of his production, but maybe even elevate the play of the defensive line. So they knew the issues in the trenches up front on defense and in the linebacker spot there uh, for, for defense to help make that secondary better. Florida still got talent in the secondary, but they need help up front to help that talent in the secondary. And they really hit it heavy, hot and heavy on the transfer portal. I mean, is this outside of Vanderbilt? Is this on paper the worst team in the East? Like, uh, I mean, that's I still think hard. you throw Missouri in there. I mean, like, I believe in Billy Napier, and I think the talent's better at Florida. So, like, it's hard for me to buy into that. But with the yeah. schedule and with the issues, man, I don't. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I know. I mean, it's Florida. Really, is a. I mean, you go start looking at it and you start piecing together a record for Florida. I think some people are going to start at five and seven and six and six, and then maybe see if they can build from there. Like, can Florida get to a seventh win? Can Florida get to an eighth yeah. win? But I think you're going to see a lot of five and seven, six and six when you guys do your preview magazine at Athlon and right. and other previews out there. I think a lot of people are going to start at, hey, this team has been six and six in the regular season the last two years. That's probably where people are going to start them when they start looking forward to Florida. And as you said, it, so much hangs on how much better can Graham Mertz play from Wisconsin and how much better can he make the other 10 players on offense around him? I, I like Missouri, what they've done this year. I do think I lean Florida in that, although we know how crazy that rivalry is just on, on the field, <laughs> all on the field itself. It's one of the most bizarre games that like nobody in America really like knows to watch every single year. Um, it, it, so I think it's going to be interesting. I, I think you're right. That's about the territory. If we're starting our preview magazine at Athlon, that's probably about where we would start. But I, I personally, we might have them ahead of, Vanderbilt and, and Missouri, but I just, I don't know about Kentucky. I don't know about South Carolina. Right. I don't staying power for South Carolina. I think Tennessee comes back to the pack a little bit. I, I guess w if they are in that six, seven, eight win range and eight is obviously on the high end, six on the yeah. low end. Um, does it matter? It, does it matter how it looks and then recruiting in terms of evaluating Billy Napier? Because again, I don't want to miss the forest through the trees. Like how bad was the situation when he gets there? You know, Richardson's only there for a year. Like, there's a lot of reasons why this is going to take longer than just one season. Yeah, uh, records going going to matter, but the fan base, a lot of the fan base is looking for hope. Uh, that's one reason you got rid of Dan Mullen because there was no hope left. Uh, he was not going to recruit his way out of his style of building a program. We brought Billy Napier in to Florida to recruit uh, a much better. Now, the first two classes, if you want to go by pure recruiting rankings, it doesn't look like it's any better. Uh, so you're going to have to start maybe looking for that 24 class. And it is off to a good start, as I mentioned, with DJ Lagway, Miles Graham, Chauncey Bowens, those three guys, very good start. But a lot of fans are going to say, hey, that's what they're going to look for if the record is six and six again. What does that 24 class look like? Because that's what's going to show hope. Okay, we, as you mentioned, we know the early issues he's dealt with. There's been a whole lot of roster movement. He's deciding to go from ground zero and build it all up again. But the only way to build that is through recruiting. And so I think the worry comes, Braden, if you are six and six again, and this is the fourth, you know, the third season in a row, you're six and six. Does right. that hurt what you're trying to build in the 2024 class? Uh, and it's first year head coaches, the results on the field probably don't matter because you're trying to sell a vision. But the further you get, 
you got to start producing results. And because opposing coaches are going to start using it against you. If you can't win ball games, why would you go there? If you can't win, if you can't get developed year one, it's not much of an issue, but the further you get away from year one results on the field do start mattering. some. and on purpose or otherwise making promises to recruits that you don't follow through on never going to go over well on the recruiting trail. (laughs) We know whoever's fault it is. Right. Exactly. No matter whose fault it is, it's not Billy Napier's fault or whatever, but we know Kirby smart. We know Mike Norvell. We know everybody's going to use this again. Hey, why would you go there if they can't promise their NIL deals? So it's it's another hurdle that Billy Napier is going to have to have to jump over on his way building recruiting classes. Kirby doesn't even have to, but but Mike Mike Norvell will use everything that's that's on the internet ever that's ever been designed to try to help. Uh, if, 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 if Gators fans have not, followed you gotten involved with gators breakdown please tell everybody where they can get involved because I, I absolutely huge recommend for all gators fans out there yeah newsforjacks.com slash gators breakdown that's the home of it but of course you can find everything if you want video versions on youtube uh, every major podcast platform out there if you want to listen to it on the go there you go gators breakdown david always a pleasure my man good to talk to you never thank a dull you, moment you. my man <laughs> <laughs> thank you man That was David Waters from Gators Breakdown. Very, very uh, well-informed. One of the best guys covering the Gators, man. And, um, yeah, they're they're poised for like a third straight 6-6 six and six season without a great improvement in recruiting. I think you and I still very much believe in Billy Napier. But I, I, I guess that's, that's what I'll ask you. How, how much do you still believe in Billy Napier? I do. I do. I think that he, we don't know... I won't say he's the most uh, – it doesn't give you the, the most look of any SEC coach. You don't know exactly what's going on. Not that he lacks transparency, but it's just not kind of out in the forefront. But recruiting-wise, what he's been able to do and just how quickly he's made some key changes at Florida, I don't have any doubt that he's going to continue to head in the right direction, even if you haven't, as a Florida fan, seen it play out the way you want it to yet. Yeah, I think it's the big structural changes that are laying the foundation for the future changes. Right. The question is whether or not he gets to enjoy the spoils of all that work or not. And I think David made a great point. All the best players on that team were Billy Napier guys, either guys he recruited or trans- picked out of the portal and developed. So yep. um, I think that's an important thing to remember, Florida fans, while you are potentially concerned about your quarterback, worried about being in weird national headlines. Wondering about recruiting and maybe losing games in a what is going to be a very, very difficult schedule uh, in 2023. So I'd give it a second if I were them. I think that's good advice. I think that's good advice. Two really good pieces of advice from you today. You have a third maybe on where people should go look for a good career? I think I would go to J.E. Dunn, which has offices all across the country. Um, is Their bark is not. Wait, I was about to say I was about to say that wrong. I was going to say they don't. I got this. Hold on. Wait for it. Unlike Florida collectives, they do not overpromise and underdeliver. In fact, they do the opposite. There you have it. As my four-year-old would Took do. Took me a second. As Damn. My four, as my four-year-old would do. Dad, brain <laughs> exploding. <laughs> What's that mean? Oh, That's brain. Like, I thought you said rain. Yeah, brain. She, she, I'll, I'll, be like, I'll be like, hey, we're going to watch Star Wars and eat pizza. And she's like, dad. My brain is exploding. It's like her That's version awesome. of like, it's her version of like, this is freaking awesome or whatever. I don't know. I so. love that. Marin is, Marin is a gift. No, it's Bennett. That one's Bennett. That's the little oh my one. God, Bennett's four? Uh, she turns five in a couple months. Turns five in like three months, two months. When did that happen? How old's Marin? There was a pandemic. Marin turned seven in October. So 
Okay, we got a long wow. way to go. We got a long way to go, dude. Really I'm a fully formed. I'm a fully formed 40 year old parent now, dude. You are. I am. Jedun.com, a fully formed adult organization. <laughs> yes, yeah. a fully formed adult organization. Uh, they know how to hire coordinators. They don't get arrested. They don't overpromise, <laughs> and they always overdeliver. Jedun.com, of course, is your place to go. Check it out. Uh, go check it out, man. Just check out the little career tabs. Click the little button. Hundred, you know, five billion in annual revenue. Twenty-five, a uh, bunch of offices around. The SEC, of course, top 100 healthiest place to work. You can get to Aaron where? The Aaron Dugan on Twitter and Aaron underscore Dugan on Instagram. You can get to me at Braden Gall at 440 Sports. Please subscribe to the YouTube page and turn on all the notifications and share the show. Just say, hey, look, I found this really fun SEC show that doesn't take itself too seriously, but has a lot of fun and knows a lot of football. A lot of good guests. You know, this this girl always tells this guy that he's an idiot. It's a great show. Just I didn't just, do that this episode, but yeah. <laughs> you did not. Um, so go share the, theme. share the show with somebody. Just tell somebody about it. For Aaron, I'm Braden. Thanks for hanging out. We'll talk to you guys next week. This has been Fringe Element on the 440 Sports Network. Later.